So I used to be really scared of taking risks because I was like, oh, what if it doesn't work out? What if it doesn't work out? You know, what, with all these, what would happen? You know, what if they laugh at me? What if I fail? What if I do this or that? And uh, sometimes you have to take a calculated risk, don't you? So, uh, for, and uh, welcome everybody who's watching on Facebook right now that can't be here. Uh, we don't want to forget about you guys. You are, are as much of this church family as everybody else. And uh, we uh, want to definitely keep you guys in our, um, like, you're here, even though you aren't here. We love you guys. Uh, finding a new pastor is risky, isn't it? But uh, we're getting ready to embark on that here sometime here in the near future. So I told you all that I would keep everybody completely informed of everything that was going on, right? And so I'm going to hold true to that. Uh, we have been, the deacons and myself have been meeting, and they have gone over the bylaws and the Constitution, and they are doing everything by what the bylaws and the Constitution says. And so they have come up with the process as to how we will go about installing a new pastor. And they told me that they would like me to inform you guys today. So here it goes. We will have a selection team, and that team will consist of three deacons, two finance team members, and two people from the congregation. So the question is, how do you determine who that is from those different groups? Well, we're going to use the exact same method that we use whenever a deacon or a finance team member is selected. So the ones that want to be in consideration for it, their names will be put into the uh, very sacred Folgers coffee can. And the names will be read off by someone else other than myself, physically. Placed in the can, and somebody else will draw out three names. Uh, they, this is the same method that was used whenever they replaced Judas um, as for the 12th disciple uh, after Judas had betrayed Jesus. The, uh, they, they replaced him, and they, they knew that it had to be somebody who had been with them. And uh, they, they cast lots, and they left it up to God to determine that. So we're going to leave this completely up to God to determine what names come out of that can. And uh, same way with the finance team, uh, that'll happen. And then this is the part for the rest of the congregation. There will be two people from the congregation who will be selected out. Over the next week, if you want to be considered to be on the selection team and have your name put in the, into the can, I want you to come and see me. Um, you need to uh, meet the same qualifications um, as a deacon or a finance team member. You need to have been at, least at the church at least three years. And, um, and, but most of all, you need to have a heart for God. And this is the way with anybody in leadership. One of the most important qualifications is that you have a heart for God, that you want God's will in this. And so after that team is selected, um, the deacons will get together and they will, they will decide at what time that we go ahead and start advertising. 
and, um, and then the team can start uh, screening out the candidates. Uh, we will hear from them uh, whenever we decide that we want to have a candidate come and preach. Um, they will preach more than once. Um, and then at, at, at the time whenever the selection team feels like, you know, this is probably somebody that we really think that this might be the person. And so there would be a trial period of which they came, an interim period sort of to where they came on a trial basis, and that would be three to six months, and that would give us a chance to really get to know them as a congregation. And that would give them a chance to really get to know us, right? Because we want, we want this to be um, good for them and good for us. It's of mutual benefit, right? And if it's good for them and it's good for us, then it's going to be good for God. And we're going, we want God to be the center of this whole process, right? We want to take any opportunity for manipulation or for politics or anything like that. We want that completely off to the side and we lay this before God and we say, God, we're going to leave this up to you. So that will be the process. After we've had an adequate time to get to know a candidate that was brought forth, then and, and only then will we go ahead and call a vote to install a pastor. Now that does, you know, and the candidate will, uh, it'll be a paid position if they come on a trial basis. You know, we can offer them the insurance while they're here. You know, we certainly don't want anybody to have to, have to be uh, living in, in poverty or anything like that. Um, but we don't want somebody, this candidate can't be looking for a job. Amen. They have to be a calling. And if someone's looking for a job, not the place for them. But if they are called to be here, it's absolutely probably going to be the place for them. So we're going to talk about this a little bit through the message even of how do you know whenever God has called you to do something? How do you know whenever um, God is speaking to you? Um, and I'm, I'm praying that through this message that God will even be speaking to each one of us as to, you know, because we've all had questions of was, was God really trying to tell me this or was, was I wrong or this or that? Have you ever had those doubts in your mind? I have. If you haven't, you're probably not human, you know, you're a robot. So <clears throat> it's risky, I, uh, pr I really don't like trying risks, but uh, sometimes um, an old pastor told me one time, he said, sometimes you just got to lay the axe to the roots and let the chips fall where they may, you know, and just take some chances. Sorry, I dribbled down my cheek. <laughs> I've got a drinking problem. <laughs> So let's turn to Joshua, the book of Joshua, and we're going to go to chapter 2. I'm going to ask you something that's really risky, and I want you to respond with a yes or a no. Do you think overall that I have been truthful to the congregation? On three, you answer yes or no. One, two, three. Yeah. 
Okay. I tell you what, you can't go wrong with the truth, can you? Joshua chapter 2. It says, Then Joshua, the son of Nun, secretly, secretly sent two spies from Shittim. Go look over the land, he said, especially Jericho. So they went and entered the house of a prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. He sent out two spies. I used, whenever I was a kid, I used to um, pretend like I was a spy, and, but mostly I pretended like I was a detective, and uh, a specific detective in, in general, it was uh, Jim Rockford. I know the younger generation don't understand this, but there was this show called The Rockford Files, and man, I thought James Gardner that played Jim Rockford was the bomb. He had the coolest sport jacket. He had the coolest car. He drove a Firebird, and uh, it was either Firebird or Camaro. I don't know. It was really cool, and uh, I even remember how much he charged back then. It was $200 a day plus expenses. And I had this infatuation with this, on his blazer, you know, he had an inside pocket. And so whenever I was little, um, I remember, I think it was at a rummage sale or something, I found this blazer, and uh, I was probably only like eight or nine, ten years old, and it had the inside pocket. And I would take my play money and I'd put it in there. And uh, I even um, had made this like shoulder holster where I could put my gun. It was a toy gun. And man, I thought I was something else. But I, yeah, I used to pretend like I was a, well, you know, it was just the other day. But yeah. <laughs> no, I, I still have thoughts about that whenever I was younger. But I also pretended like I was a spy. You know, I watched James Bond and all that different things. And I was thinking about the two spies. Um, a lot of times whenever people are reading here in Joshua about this whole situation, they don't really think too much about the two spies. But I think about whenever Joshua chose the two, I thought, man, these must have been some really tough dudes. And, you know, these are like the, the Navy SEALs or something like that of the bunch. And then I got to thinking about it more, and I thought about uh, what they were really like and so their job really wasn't to go in and engage in battle by themselves, right? They were to go in and survey out the land and see what they were up against. And um, my, uh, our kids, the three of our kids are military kids. Um, our oldest one, he's out of the Army now. He did his, his stint. And then my youngest one is in the Air Force. And my stepson, Sam's boy, he's in the Army. And he is what you call um, a Cav Scout. And I thought, this is what Cav Scouts actually do. They go in, and they're to check it out and to get intel. Now, these two spies, if they were modern day, they would be using drones, wouldn't they? And uh, they would be surveying it out. But they didn't have that technology back then. And uh, a very dangerous situation. Because these two spies, they're not from Jericho. These are Israelites. And I was thinking about this, unless... Let's go on and read a little bit more of the text here and see where this carries on. Verse 2, it says, The king of Jericho was told, Look, some of the Israelites have come here tonight to spy out the land. 
So the king of Jericho sent this message to Rahab, bring out the men who came to you and entered your house because they have come to spy out the whole land. And I thought to myself, because originally I thought they went in and they snuck up over the wall. And, um, but whenever I was reading this, and it doesn't really spell it out, but I thought, I bet they entered through the front gate. You know, just trying to appear like they were the average Joe back then, or, and, and just probably tried to blend in and entered through the front gate. And it's odd that, um, that the king would have got word back that they were spies. And so, you know, it's, they probably didn't really blend in as well with the environment as what they probably wanted to. I kind of stick out here in Wayne County. I'm one of the only Asian preachers, I think, south of Chicago in Illinois. I'm not sure. I, I, one time I asked um, some good friends of mine, the McLeans over at Centralia, they've got, a, they've got an investigation business, and um, I asked them, I said, do you think I could sub in as an investigator, you know, to fulfill my fantasies about being a detective? And they said, well, in certain situations you probably could, but for the most part, you, you're too, you know, you'd be too obvious. You'd be sticking out like a sore thumb. And, um, and I was like, oh. You know, wouldn't you be a little wondering if I was sitting outside your house for hours? <laughs> in a car? with a video camera <laughs> pointed at your window. There's a good chance I'd get beat up. I'm small, but I'm wiry. So did they enter the front gate? I don't know. But they ended up at this prostitute's house. That's a little odd, too. But they probably thought that maybe this was, you know, maybe this was just like the first place that they went to go hide, or they thought maybe they could blend in there or something, you know, but for whatever reason, they ended up there. And um, so the king found out, there's probably a search party out and everything, and verse 4 says, but the woman had taken the two men and hidden them. She said, yes, the men came to me, but I did not know where they had come from. At dusk, when it was time to close the city gate, they left. I don't know which way they went. Go after them quickly, and you may catch up with them. But she had taken them up to the roof and hidden them under the stalks of flax she had laid out on the roof. So the men set out in pursuit of the spies of the road, on the road that leads to the fords of the Jordan. And as soon as the pursuers had gone out, the gate was shut. You know, if the spies would have been caught, they would have been killed. And they wouldn't have just been killed. I mean, they just wouldn't have just, you know, had a club or a spear or I don't know whatever means they used back then, but it certainly wouldn't have been good. But they would have been killed. Not only would the spies have been killed if they'd have been caught, Rahab would have been killed. And not only would Rahab have been killed, her family probably would have been killed. Because these were two spies the king recognized that these were two spies, so they're going to want, the king's going to want to know information out of them. 
they would have been tortured to get that information before they would have been killed. Rahab would have been tortured. Her family would have been tortured. These were mafia terms, weren't they? But it was very serious and it was very risky. I mean, she was risking everything. She was putting it all on the line. Let's go on to verse 8. It says, Before the spies lay down for the night, she went up on the roof and said to them, I know that the Lord has given you this land and that a great fear of you has fallen on us, that all who live in this country are melting in fear because of you. Now they're up there hiding, but yet the same people that are after them, that are probably going to kill them, is fearful of them. We have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. For when you came out of Egypt and what you did to Sihon and Og, the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan whom you completely destroyed, when we heard of it, our hearts melted in fear and everyone's courage failed because of you. For the Lord your God is God in heaven above and on earth below. That was 40 years ago whenever the Red Seas was parted. And they're still fearful of this. Were they fearful of the Israelites? It was they were fearful of the fact that God was God and that they didn't want to go up against God. See, we can't fight battles on our own. That isn't what makes us strong. It's whenever God is with us, then, then the enemy is fearful of us. Have you ever been to where, like, you're scared to death of this or that or, you know, something coming against you and, and it's just worrying you and, and afraid of you? You know the very thing that you're afraid of, that enemy is ten times more afraid of you if you have God on your side. So fear not. Uh, sometimes you're afraid, but the enemy is more afraid. Verse 12 says, Now then, please swear to me by the Lord that you will show kindness to my family because I have shown kindness to you. Give me a sure sign that you will spare the lives of my father and mother, my brothers and sisters, and all who belong to them, and that you will save us from death. Our lives for your lives, the men assured her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. Now, what happened here is Rahab, she'd already taken the risk, hadn't she? She already was, was put herself out there, and she hadn't asked anything of these spies, had she? She hadn't asked them for anything, but now she took the risk, and now she's taken the step of faith before she had asked anything. She took the step of faith that She's choosing God's side instead of even her own people. Now, that's pretty tough to do. How many times do we choose what is familiar to us rather than choosing what we know is right? It's too easy to do. You know, um, so if you look back in Hebrews, there's this... Um, there's this uh, book that's uh, Hebrews, and in the chapter is 11, 
In verse 30 and 31, it says, By faith the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith the harlot Rahab perished, not with them that believed not, when she received the spies with peace. See, Rahab was even became so famous later on that they included her in the hall of fame of the book of faith there back there in Hebrews. So what step of faith she, did, she took right then, that was a pivotal moment when she chose God's people and to follow after that rather than to follow after her own people who she knew was, was not doing right. What a step of faith. Verse 15 says, So she let them down by a rope through the window, for the house she lived in was part of a city wall. She said to them, go to the hills so the pursuers will not find you. Hide yourselves there three days until they return, and then go on your way. You know, there's this thing with three days that just seems to keep popping up in the Bible, isn't there? And, um, you know, Jesus was in the tomb three days, and then he rose up out of the grave. You know, I, I had a, a really wise man tell me one time, he, he was asked something, um, and he said uh, he wasn't going to respond right then. And uh, he said, I'm going to wait three days, pray about it, and the truth will rise up out of the grave. There's something about that three days. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless when we enter the land you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. Yeah. This is the official original scarlet cord. No, it is not, or I would be lying, and I just told you that I was truthful. But it is a scarlet cord. You ever slid down a rope? Whew. You better do it right. <laughs> I mean, that dude comes sliding through your hands. Uh, I mean, you, there's this method of twirling your foot around it, but boy, you don't want to be hugging on that thing and you slide. You better know what you're doing. One time I was down at Garden of the Gods whenever I was like 21. Uh, old, too old to know better. And I seen guys rappelling off of Rimrock. And, um, of course, you know, they had all the gear and everything. And me and some other guys were down there. And uh, I wasn't living a Christian life then. So I won't say what we was doing. But we had a rope with us. And I thought, I can do that. Keep in mind, I was really stupid. So there was this one little place there that there was a little drop off from, from some rocks and it was like uh, maybe 10, 12 feet. And so I said, I'm just going to climb down that. And so that rope was maybe 20 feet long and it was only about that big around. And I tied it to a tree and it was like, you better not do it. I said, oh, I, just watch this. So I took the rope and I wrapped it around my waist and I jumped off. <laughs> and whenever I did, it went... <laughs> I said, they said, are you all right? I said, it's too tight. It's too tight. 
You got to have the right gear to do that stuff. Don't ever do that. Don't ever do that. These spies, they were a lot more intelligent than me. And they were probably more sober than I was then. I don't, I'm sober now. I don't drink. I haven't drunk in like 20 years. Uh, and unless you have brought your father and mother, your brothers and all your family into your house, if any of them go outside your house into this street, their blood will be on their own heads. We will not be responsible. As for those who are in the house with you, their blood will be on our head if a hand is laid on them. But if you tell what we are doing, we will be released from the oath you made us swear. Agreed, she replied, let it be as you say. So she sent them away and they departed and she tied the scarlet cord in the window. Her whole family... So she took the risk of the spies, her and her family, getting killed and tortured to taking the risk that she is going to save the spies. It will save her, and it will save her whole family. But there's one condition. She can't, she has to have that scarlet cord hanging so that they know, and that will be the key thing that is going to save them all, right? How long, I, I, when I think about Rahab, I think about, you know, she was a prostitute, and then so this is a, a brothel. I don't know what type of a establishment it was or anything, but you know, there's a good chance that if she's living that lifestyle now, not knowing what she grew up with. How did she grow up? You know, maybe she was born into this. And I wonder how many years that she has wondered, am I ever gonna get rescued from this? Am I ever gonna get saved from this? And sometimes people are born into circumstances that they got some cards stacked against them. But this is a different day, isn't it? This is a different week. Everything's about to change, and she's getting ready to take some risks. But it is a calculated risk, isn't it? Because she knows what had happened 40 years ago. She knows what the power of God is, even if she's not living that lifestyle. You know, there's people that um, they ask for prayer and they, on Facebook, and I know some of them aren't even Christians, but they know the power of God, don't they? Because they've heard, and they've heard, our, they've heard different people's testimony. And so, anyway, I think this is the same situation she's in. She knows the power of God, and she's making this turn right now. How long has she want to be delivered out of this situation? You know how many times in different times in my life whenever I've asked God and prayed, Lord, deliver me from this situation? Just waiting and waiting and waiting. And, you know, sometimes you just don't get an answer. There's been times whenever I've asked God, deliver me from this situation, 
and I know that he's probably been speaking to my spirit, well, I will, but have you learned anything? Because if I deliver you from this now, are you going to go back to it? Are you going to, are you serious about this? Because I don't want to kick the demons out of your life and then you fall back in the same thing and then they bring back seven more with them. How long has she wanted to have been delivered out of this situation? Probably a long time. Sometimes we judge the Rahabs and we don't know what they've been through. But she takes a stance this day. When they left, they went into the hills and stayed there three days until the pursuers had searched all along the road and returned without them. When the two men started back, they went down out the hills, forded the river, and came to Joshua, son of Nun, and told him everything that had happened to them. They said to Joshua, the Lord has surely given the whole land into our hands. All the people are melting in fear because of us. See, I just believe the Holy Spirit went out before those two spies and is at work and alive and working in this situation, quickening something in Rahab's heart. All these different things that are going down, this is not by accident and it's not by mistake. This is God has ordained this to happen. But here's the thing. Rahab had free will, didn't she? She had free will to decide what she was going to do. See, the scarlet cord had to be present whenever Joshua and the spies showed up. If the musicians would go ahead and come. This scarlet cord, it represents the blood that Jesus shed for us. Blood that covers us, covers There was enough blood that was shed to cover everybody's sin who would decide to choose him as their Lord and Savior. We need that scarlet cord in our lives, don't we? Because without that, we're going to perish. If you all would please stand. Now there's two different, two different things in here that I want to talk to you about. And I know that most of you here are probably all already given your life to Christ. Maybe all of you. But if you have not, I, I pray that that these words that were spoken today and the symbolization of this and how it correlates to what Christ did for us on the cross. I pray that you would give your life to Christ today. That you might be saved and how it could affect your whole family. See, it didn't just affect Rahab. It, refle- it, it affected her whole lineage. Because Rahab after she was rescued she married Salmon and her and Salmon had a son 
and his name was Boaz. And I went back from two weeks ago or three weeks ago when I preached about Ruth and Boaz. Rahab was Boaz's mother. And I know she had to have been so proud of that young man. And the direction that his life has taken because he later, later married Ruth. And then they had a son. And that son had a son. And Rahab becomes the great-great-grandmother of King David. And King David's lineage goes all the way down to Christ. That pivotal moment that Rahab took with the two spies affected the whole history. The decisions that you make today will affect your whole history. And I know you congregation are a loving, God-fearing people, but there might be a few in here that does not know Christ. So as they play, we're family here. If you don't know, have Jesus in your life, I'd ask that you would come up Kneel down at the altar. We'll come and pray with you. There will be nobody praying by themselves here. And uh, just pour your heart out to him.